Hey y'all, welcome back to a, another episode of the Chase Almost Podcast, the Thursday, July 21st, 2022 edition here on the Chase Almost Podcast, where I'm still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee, a dreary, rainy, rainy, stormy Knoxville, Tennessee. Pretty crazy. Khaleesi Dog, right next to me as I'm doing this intro, scared to death at uh, this uh, thunderstorm that we've got going on out here in Knoxville, Tennessee. So... Uh, jam-packed show for you guys here on a Thursday. We start things off full ride with Matt Green talking all things college football. Uh, we have a lot to cover. We did our top 10 SEC quarterbacks based on a lot of media day, uh, media media week, uh, the SEC media days in uh, Atlanta this week and where our top 10s fell and why. Uh, Georgia and whether or not they do have a recruiting problem in the state of Georgia. Uh, shout out to Lake Kicks, uh, Josh Pate for bringing that up this week. Um, Bill Connolly had a really good piece on an SEC preview about Georgia and trying to repeat um, and just what kind of uncharted territory they're entering and why Nick Saban's Alabama teams have been so impressive and uh, so incredible. Uh, and then, of course, some more realignment conversations and uh, where things are going and if a Power 3 conference model is kind of where we're headed. So a lot of college football conversation here on uh, the Chase Most Podcast to start off this Thursday edition. Thank you guys, as always, for making the Chase Most Podcast part of your daily listen wherever and however you listen to this very program. We greatly appreciate it here at Blue Wire. Uh, make sure you check us out on YouTube as we continue growing out the YouTube page, youtube.com slash Chase Thomas Podcast. Like and subscribe, all that good stuff uh, as we continue building that thing out. Uh, read me at sportsrenaissanceman.substack.com. Type in your email. That easy, that simple. Check that out today. Uh, tweet at me at Chase double underscore Thomas. Like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. All right, part one on a Thursday. Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to a, another episode of the Chase Thomas podcast here on Blue Wire Pods. The full ride here uh, at this time that we do every single week. Matt Green, fellow University of North Georgia alumni, is here. He has not shaved today. He is uh, growing out a little bit of the facial hair. Uh, is that is that intentional, yeah, I mean, Matt? You know, it's a little Grizzly Adams over here. That's oh, I noticed. Called me before. <laughs> Grizzly Adams. Who was the first guy to be called that? Is unironic or ironically, I guess. Uh, it's a, a good question. Like it's been um, a thing for a long time. I feel like it's been a thing. It's been like a thing in pop culture since uh, Happy Gilmore, though. Like, yeah. I don't think it would be a thing if it weren't for. Hmm. The Happy Gilmore line, right? That's probably true. Matt, how was your week? Anything new with Zeus, with Maddox, with the the friendos, the neighbor? Uh, no, man, just uh, <laughs> same old, same old. Just uh, just living the dream, man. You know it. Living the dream. Well, Matt, uh, it's how many days until college football? We are forty four days mm-hmm. until college football season right now. And, um, you know, I thought about getting creative here. We got the Boz. He was 44, big time yep. Brian Bosworth. Uh, this year's number one pick in the draft, national champion Trayvon Walker. Mm. Even though he didn't have, I don't even think he was first, second, or third team all SEC, but he was the number one pick in the draft. No, we're not going him either. Uh huh. We got to just go with the old reliable. We're going greatest of all time. I mean, okay. Jim Brown. He's the GOAT, basically. Mm. Like, I don't know if he is the goat, but he's a goat. 
Like it's okay. it's a it's a term that's way overused with this generation, obviously, like the whole goat thing. But I think when college football Hall of Fame or whoever was making the list, maybe it was ESPN that made the list, the 150 greatest players, they had Jim Brown number one. So mm-hmm. Herschel Walker, I think, was number two. Um, but yeah, so Jim Brown, I, I I try to get creative, but Jim Brown is is basically the greatest player of all time. So we had uh, Jim Brown, Ernie Davis, and, and Floyd Little were the the three great Syracuse. They basically own number 44. So, yeah, Jim Brown, put him on the board. 44 days. I like it. I like it. Were there, who's, I'm trying to think of who else would actually qualify. Who are some other 44s? Not a lot of 44s out there. I could think of some 37s. So I'm excited yeah, about that there next was, week. Um, Dan, Dan Morgan. Okay, Penn Is State Dan linebacker. Connor or Dan Morgan. I'm getting them confused. Dan Connor was the Penn State one. Dan okay. Morgan was Miami. Okay. Middle linebacker. Are you looking him up? Yeah, I am. Because now I'm curious. He was 44. <laughs> That's a good pull right there. Because he's 55 in the NFL, and I was like, he was not 44 with the Panthers on that Super Bowl. Morgan team. was 44. Yeah, he was 44 okay. in college. I was like the white not. white middle linebacker. Uh, I could get him confused, but yeah. Uh, so there's there's one. Um, I don't know. Did you know he had a cool visor at Miami? You would have loved Dan Morgan in his prime. Oh, dude, this man I did. had the look. That's why I remember that that dude, the U, that that was the squad back in the day. Like anyone who didn't have like a family allegiance to be <laughs> a fan of whatever college team mm-hmm. was a Miami fan. I feel like mm. because Miami was just the coolest team ever at that at that point in history that, that was my fantasy football strategy in the early 2000s just get as many miami players as possible edger and james uh, uh andre johnson you know like just they were all cool Clint i mean Clint portis was the coolest one to me mcgahee yeah they're all just cool without a doubt um so, <clears throat> it's funny too because if you look at dan morgan um miami pictures he looks almost identical like he is who tim riggins was created for like this man has looks completely like the hair, the flow, the size, this man in college, Dan Morgan was Tim Riggins at the university of Miami. Who is Tim Riggins? Oh my goodness. Is, is this a, Tim Riggins. Oh no. I thought you were going to say the blue mountain state dude. Uh, no. What did you never watch Friday night lights there? on NBC? No, no, I never watched that. You would love Friday Night Lights. Why did what 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 happened there? How did you miss the uh, Friday Night Lights bug? What? I don't know. I just uh, didn't do it for me. So you gave it a shot and you didn't like it. No, I'm not sure. I've watched an episode. <laughs> <laughs> Night, That's better. I'll take that because Friday if you Night watched Lights, a couple the movie it was a yeah, quality Billy Bob movie, Thornton, yeah. But um, it was uh, it was fine. Yeah, you know, it didn't. It didn't. I didn't love Friday Night Lights the movie enough to be like, oh, it's a TV show now. I gotta watch that. Like, the TV show is better than the movie. Is that right? They're, are they even related, or is it just the same school? No, I, I mean it's a different school. Like it's based on the same kind of premise, like that sort of thing. But no, it's because I think in the movie they're what Pyramid and uh, Permian, I think Permian, yeah. yeah. And in the TV show they're Dylan, the Dylan Panther. So they still have the oh, P okay. on the side. Uh, but that's it's what I'm thinking. That's why I thought it was. Yeah. The, I thought it was the same thing. Okay. Yeah. Little no, different, not not familiar. This it is probably something I would enjoy, but it's never, my jam, uh, man. We all is wish. It's all, we were, is it off the air? Yeah, I mean, it's been gone for. It's probably been over for ten years. Oh, is that right? How many seasons was there? 
five. I want to say okay. four or five. I want to say five though. And it's been a maybe, little bit. Uh, maybe if I run through everything else on the streaming platform, so I'll, uh, I'll get to, I'll get to Friday Night Lights at some point. I mean, we just did, uh, and we're going to talk about it with uh, Stats by Will tomorrow. Um, he recommended because I we love Nathan for you on Comedy Central. Yeah, Nathan for you is ten out of ten. Well, do you know he has a new show on HBO? Yes, I've have you watched, watched the first it. episode? I did. Yeah. Oh my goodness, the rehearsal is unbelievable. Like it's Nathan for you ramped up times ten, and it's an absolute delight. It was. Yeah, Tori is not a fan, and I'm like what? I'm showing her. I'm like. I'm like, I like can't get through scenes. I'd be like, you got to watch this. And I'd be like, just the little awkward pauses and just these interactions with people. It's just, yeah. It's it's so uncomfortable. And this man, I mean, just (laughs) folks, I don't want to spoil it, but just when he's just like, I've actually redone this conversation a thousand times (laughs) in this very place. And he's like, what? And he's like, and uh, I mean, just it, that show is just brilliant. And Nathan Fielder is one of my favorites. Um, so, yeah, the rehearsal. That's your uh, Matt and Chase pick for the week here on The Full yeah, Ride. That's a, that's a quality quality program. It's only it's one a, episode. I can't give it like a complete – I can't vouch for it yet as a, as a, as a show. But uh, Nathan Fielder is hilarious. And they have only got six episodes, right? It's a pretty short season. Um, oh, and it took right? a really long time to make, I think. Um, so – yeah, I'm excited. After watching the first episode, I imagine it had to take a really long time to to do any of that and a crazy budget. He's doing, yeah, exactly. I mean, just little things. I just when she's mimicking his friend, and just the oh my god, it's incredible. Um, well, speaking of things that are incredible, the future of college football, Matt Green, where. I think this week with Media Day and just listening to different folks and talking to different folks, it does seem like as long as Notre Dame doesn't join a conference, I think the anytime soon, it seems like we're in a doldrums period for, for a while. And that's just kind of where we're at as college football fans. We're like, okay, can you give us like three more years before another crazy thing happens? Can you give us two where we can just not have to worry about this and spend the whole summer. And it seems like the Grana rights has stalled a lot of stuff. So the ACC is kind of locked in uh, for a while. They're going to try and add or whatever. We'll see what happens. But I mean, if the big 12 and the PAC 12 add, it's they're not adding from other power five conferences. So it's like more of the small moves, the small things like San Diego state and Boise getting added to the PAC 12 or something. Um, which is good because I am exhausted by this whole process. And if even if we believe that it's going to go to two power conferences down the road at some point, it seems like we're still a ways away from that becoming what happens. And Greg Sankey just being very comfortable saying we're good with R16. And I do think that's genuine where if no one else does, if big the Big Ten does not add Notre Dame, then they're okay. Like the SEC is like, we'll hang out. Like you got USC, UCLA, that's fine. But if y'all stay at 16 and we stay at 16, we won't move if y'all won't move. So yeah. it really comes down to Notre Dame, it feels like, where if they don't do anything crazy, unless they just go to the ACC. That is what I'm pulling for. If they did that curveball and they were like, we're actually just going to join the ACC. That would be incredible. But that would also just stop all the expansion stuff because then the Big Ten's like, all right, well, we just lost the last big fish uh, and we don't just want to add Oregon and Washington for the sake of Oregon and Washington. 
And then it's like, well, I, I, I think part of it too is we're already at the power to super conferences anyway. When you look at the television deals, it's like they don't have to keep adding because because it doesn't add more to the revenue. It doesn't add more to their TV numbers. All the big brands are in there. So when people are like, oh, there's going to be two major super conferences, it's like, well, they already are. And they're already making far more money and we'll make a lot more money over the next 20, whatever the amount of time is for these current uh, TV deals. So I'm but like, USC and UCLA do add an actual well yeah but they're still going to like they're the last group oregon and washington doesn't increase their revenue like stream for that conference all that much the los angeles market does and then if you look at notre dame they would as well but that's what i'm saying is like i think it just comes down to notre dame if notre dame just is like we're we're not doing it unless there's a playoff mandate where you have to join a conference to qualify for the playoff we're not doing it i just don't see any more major movement even though it really really sucks for the usc and ucla non-revenue sports having to fly all around the country for their football programs deciding to join the big 10 for this revenue stream because there's no other schools in the west coast in this conference so it's kind of stupid that you're not even at like i this just kills the rose bowl too right like you like as much as the pac-12 big 10 matchup was like always great it was it was the Big Ten team playing USC that made it sexy, honestly. The Michigan playing USC or Ohio State playing USC or something like that. Like that's that was always the the, the sexiest Rose Bowl game. Now it's like, yeah, Washington and and Michigan State. Like that's cool. Like I, I guess I guess we'll get excited for that game. Like yeah, who knows? But. Utah or, or Utah, Ohio State obviously was a great game last year, but the Rose Bowl will always be cool. It just that whole Big Ten. I I, I feel like that's got to go at some point. The Big Ten, Pac twelve, like Rose Bowl, like automatic because it's just at one point that was like whoever came out of those conferences was a big time brand and it was going to be an exciting game. Now it's like the Rose Bowl will probably want to stay relevant and like get get Clemson playing Oklahoma in the Rose Bowl or something like that, you know? So I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens with that. But as far as everything else goes, like it's, it feels like Notre Dame joining the ACC would be like the stabilizer of, mm-hmm. of just keeping the big 10 where it, where it is, the SEC where it is. Like there's, it doesn't seem like there's a big fish that's like, Oh, you're obviously going to go after that one, you know? So like Oregon and Washington, like you said, those really seem like the two. So I feel like if, if Notre Dame goes to the ACC, like Kirk Herbstreit, you're talking about, I guess his, he he's thinking we're going to end up at a power three in some, right. in some capacity, right? Or like the big 12 and Pac 12 just combine. And then the ACC eventually just gets fizzled out too. That's why I don't see a big three happening is because the ACC, like unless it's easy, like it's either going to go to two mm-hmm. or the ACC seems like it's going to exist as one of at least the third best conference. It just seems like the brands on the East coast, just as far as those being like, just, I don't know, traditional universities that like have some just athletic tradition, like a North Carolina, even Duke, obviously not with football, but like Miami and Florida state and Clemson, like you have a lot of tradition in that conference, even Virginia and Virginia tech. Like it's hard to see that conference just like, 
ceasing to exist. Like, well, I don't I, think he's saying, and when people are like, it's going to be the power too. And I think this is what people misunderstand is that like, they just won't have the same status. So they'll be seen as like a group of five types conference and not like the power five came in for the reason of like the whole guarantee bid to the playoff, that sort of thing. Like they were, it's just a, a general term of like, this is big boy football. But like, if you, that doesn't mean the conference is disappearing in a two super conference sport. What it means is just those two sports have so much more power and money and influence. And you can, it's just going to be almost impossible to win a championship if you're not in one of those two conferences, because you won't be able to recruit at a level to run a playoff gauntlet of where that is. But they have to be, you know, robbed in some way right pillaged in some way for this to for this to happen right for it to Mm. just be a two power com or just three conferences because like the three conference thing you can kind of make sense of it if you know kind of the best of the big 12 and the best of the pac 12 kind of come together and join a conference but like i just don't see i mean maybe what we have four four of the acc teams go to the big 10 four of them go to the sec or something like that like i don't the ACC just seems like a stronger product and I don't, it, it seems like, I don't know, I guess if, if, if they, if it ceases to exist, I, it won't cease to exist, but it just won't be a power conference anymore. I think it would have to be robbed in some way. Like the SEC comes and knocks on their door and takes North Carolina and Miami and Florida state and Clemson and, and says, see ya or something like that. You know, like I, I don't, I don't see how, Unless unless they get pillaged in some way, like it, it's still going to be a big boy conference, even if they are a step behind the Big Ten and SEC. Well, I think um, I think what we've seen, no matter what what's coming, is the fact that I think the commissioner is pretty open and like not he was non-committal on revenue sharing being a different conversation in the ACC, where Clemson and North Carolina are going to start getting a bigger piece of the pie. Like the one of the, like mm-hmm. that's like priority one to save this conference where it's like, you want to keep Florida state, North Carolina, Virginia and uh, Clemson in this conference. And you don't want them to get out and try and just take a crazy um, grant of rights buyout and whatever that, like we saw that it might be nine figures to get out of this if you're an ACC school. So it's, it's a lot, man. I don't, I don't think it's going to happen with any of these teams, but it's also like, to keep them happy for a long time, you're going to have to reevaluate. Like it can't just be Wake Forest is getting the same amount of money as Clemson every year. Like that I think has to change. And it's different in the SEC and the Big Ten where the money is so uh, grandiose and vast that it's okay that Vanderbilt makes the same payout as Georgia and Bama and stuff like that. Yeah, that's fair. Have you heard about Vanderbilt has planned like $300 million renovations. Yes, I did. Well, Uh, I had Chuck, I heard Chuck Oliver talking about it on 680. What were you going to say? Well, I had Chad Bishop on uh, today, actually, uh, VU Commodores.com. And we were talking about that and um, the investment Clark Lee's gotten uh, in that program. So yeah, they're, they're going all out. They're getting some money. Except for, for one huge thing. They're not adding one seat to the stadium. Well, it's for like other things. They're not building a recruiting facility. They're not building like a sports nutrition. I don't know. Like 
it sounds like an HGTV. They're spending three hundred million dollars on on updates. Uh, on I don't know. I don't so know. You're what saying they're Chip and Joanna Gaines should have been involved in this process. Yeah, like that. Like I don't know. It's it sounds crazy. Like they said because Minnesota, you know, just built a new stadium. What five mm-hmm. years ago or so? They said it cost Minnesota three hundred and two million dollars to build an entire stadium. And Vanderbilt's over here spending three hundred million dollars on on paint and and floors and and all all kinds of I don't know updating the press box like just all kinds of things that like these aren't going to help you be competitive. Vanderbilt needs fifty thousand seat stadium like they do like you're I know that it, if they first built at least a fifty thousand feet seat what stadium, is it now? Oh, I don't even know. It's it's like thirty. Like okay. it's just. It's such a nothing stadium. That's like, obviously, crazy. We more than double it. I that's crazy. It's the same conference, and I mean, Nealon's at one oh one, one oh two, whatever that is, and then you got Vandy with thirty, thirty nine, thirty nine thousand. Um, and what's the average Vandy. attendance on most Saturdays? What do you? And, I wonder. And I'm sure when Georgia goes to to Vanderbilt, when Florida goes to Vanderbilt, there's thirty thousand Florida fans. There's you know, 20,000, 20, at least half full of, of the opposing team. So it's not going to look good if you have 50,000 people in the stadium, but I feel like it, it feels like a self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, build it and the people will come. Like, you you can't be taken seriously when you're playing in front of 39,000 people. Like, it's just, you're, Tennessee's playing in front of 100,000. Like, it's, it's a different ball game. Hey, you know, got off on a tangent there. Well, but. no, it's we'll see what happens, man. Clark Lee, he's going for it though. He's he's doing the brick by brick thing, and we'll see if it pays off. Um, long opening statement this week to it, SEC Media Day. Uh, very different vibe from Clark Lee than uh, Mike Leach, but I don't know. It, yeah, and you it's saw different. the soundbite everybody's running with, where he said he sees Vanderbilt becoming the best football program in the country. I <laughs> think what he meant play. though was like. <sighs> I think it's kind of like one of those things, and there's a reason that apparently wakes on the schedule for them this year, is he and Clawson, I think, have a good relationship. And I was talking to Chad about this on the pod, where it was like, he, I think they want to become like the wake of the SEC, where you are the smallest, you will never have the resources. I mean, they are the wake of the SEC. They don't have to try to be the wake of the well, I mean, SEC. wake found a system with Clawson that works, though. Like, wake just went to the ACC title no, game, where it's true. like you just develop and then sometimes you'll find your Sam Hartman. And then it's like, all right, it might be AJ Swan, the Cherokee kid. He's a four-star who is a true freshman. He might play. I mean, you got Mike Wright, Ken Seals. Like, I don't know. Um, They have a really good, uh, what's his name? Jaden McGowan, a speedster out wide. Like, I don't know. Like, it's not going to happen this year. But if you follow that model, it's kind of what we've been saying about tech, right? Where it's like, oh, we're going to be like the curb. (laughs) We're going to be like Jordan. It's like, no, 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 no. Be like the be like Wake. Be like uh, Virginia with Bronco Mendenhall. But that's the thing with Tech. Tech is Tech was never a bad football program. Like it's like that's why the whole like academic thing I always just kind of scoff at. It's like before two thousand, you guys oh, had I have no something problem. For you, Matt. Before two thousand, you guys had no problem being a consistent football. There you go, nineteen ninety split national title. Like that's like recent history. Vanderbilt's never been good, so it's like there's no. There's no blueprint for how it's really done, like other than looking at someone like Wake Forest and kind of what they've done as a small school. But like Georgia Tech was like not an embarrassing football program until 
I don't know, the last decade or so. It's rough, um, but we'll see. Uh, you know what else is rough? Trying to repeat as national champions, Matt Green. It's mm. it's pretty rare, and it's a it's something that Saban's only done once, and Kirby Smart and his Georgia Bulldogs are going to try and do this season. Bill Connolly, an excellent ESPN uh, college football writer, was writing about the SEC uh, this week and doing his SEC preview, and he wrote about Georgia, quote, Now what? Of all the ways Saban has redefined college football, his ability to avoid hangovers is at the top of the list. Of the past 10 national champions that weren't coached by Saban, only half uh, have finished in the AP Top 5 the following year. Three finished unranked, all SEC teams, and the team's cumulative win percentage fell from 95%, 13.7 wins per year, to 0.78, so 78%, 10.4 wins uh, per year, uh, win percentage. Um, Saban's Crimson Tide, on the other hand, have just combined to roll after title runs. They racked up a win percentage of 95% in his six title seasons in Tuscaloosa. And the next season, their win percentage fell only a bit to 88% with six top 10 and four top two finishes. So this is like the ultimate test now for Kirby, where this is, if you want to say you're the new Death Star and you are Saban East and you're Alabama East, this is where we see it. Like if they drop off and they have a rough year and rough by metric of like nine and three or 10 and two, and they're not in the playoff. Like, that's rough now for Georgia. Um, then we know that it's just, it's not the same. Like, it's just not Nick Saban's just, and <laughs> nobody is Nick Saban. But Kirby slayed the dragon. He beat Saban. They have the players to do it. But now you're like, all right, now let's see. Let's see if you can run it back. There is nothing more difficult than running it back. And Saban has been the only guy to do it. I thought this piece was pretty interesting. What do you what do you make of all that? No, I mean Saban's just level of consistency that Alabama's been on, like it's just absurd. So like I would never suggest that anyone can repeat what Alabama's doing. It, it's funny how like I feel like the the goalpost keeps moving on Kirby Smart, like like criticizing someone for not being Saban, it's like criticizing LeBron for not being Jordan. It's like, okay, well, he's like the second greatest of all time. Like this guy, it's, he's insanely good. Can we agree on that? Um, so I'm not saying Kirby Smart's LeBron or anything, but he could be. Well, we, we'll see what happens. I'm not ruling it out either. Uh, I mean, if you just think about this run that he started, I mean, 66 wins through the first six years as a head coach. That's the most in SEC history, like a national title in this first in his sixth year as a, as a head coach. So I looking at this, the past 10 non Saban champions that goes, I was just looking at it year by year that goes back to 2006 uh, Florida. So like looking at some of those teams and I think you said three of those, on the list were SEC teams. So that's mm-hmm. including 2019 LSU, mm-hmm. or I should say 2020 LSU, right. 2011 Auburn, and, and 2007 Florida. For one, 2007 Florida is probably one of the best, like nine and four teams, like of all time, right? Like they played like multiple teams that finished like top five. They got a Heisman winning quarterback, like sandwiched in between two national championship seasons. Like just Georgia, 2022 Georgia is not playing 2007. Florida's schedule you know Mm -hmm. it's just it's not going to be anywhere close I think that's the biggest difference right now is I do think Georgia 
isn't at a level of just straight up reloading like Alabama is. They're they're getting damn close to being on like that Ohio State, Alabama. Like it doesn't really matter how much you lose. The next guy that's coming in is also a baller. Like I feel like Georgia's getting close to that level, but I think specifically in 2022, it's about like their schedule is just kind of weak. There's just a lot of SEC programs that are kind of in flux. Like with what Auburn, like Auburn and Florida are basically the go-to most difficult games on the Georgia schedule for probably the past decade plus, you know, like if you just go back, those are the two games, Georgia circles. There's obviously those years they play Alabama or LSU or years that Tennessee is better or something, but those are the two big rivals I would say for Georgia. And those programs are just not where they're used to being like the over under on both of those teams, win totals at what, like six and a half right now. Mm -hmm. Like that's just, so I think right now, I don't know how much Georgia is just like truly ready to be like a top three team again next year. They might be, honestly, they, they, they really might be, but I think right the, with the schedule, I think they're definitely, I, I see them at worst going 11 and one. And, and, you, and looking at the other, the other guys that did this, like Gene Chizik, it was just a freak thing, right? Getting Cam Newton just turned this mediocre football team into the best team in college football. And like Gene Chizik didn't have a history before his title and he didn't do anything after his title. Like Ed Orgeron had a lot of, there's a a big sample size of him as a head coach before 2019 with Joe Burrow. And he wasn't a very good head coach. And we, and we saw that after the team was just decimated with, players leaving early for the draft and just graduating and everything. So Kirby had four top seven finishes in a row prior to winning the national championship. So it's, it's not like Georgia just popped up and just out of nowhere. Oh, we just put together this, this team of all these elite players. Like they did have a super loaded roster, like uh, broke the NFL draft record for uh, total draft picks in one draft, but it's like it was a process. Like there's a twelve, a thirteen and two, a, a eleven and three, a, a ten and two. Like you've just seen this year in and year out, and and finally they broke through. So I don't, I don't see anything that would suggest that Georgia is not going to just be right here again next year and probably just every year after that because Kirby Smart's just one of the elite coaches in college football. I love if you tell a Georgia fan, it's like, I think you'll go like 11 and one and then lose the SEC title game and miss the playoff. It's like, whoa, whoa, what are you saying, pal? And it's like, I think that's a pretty amazing season still. And I think for following a a national championship, like what we saw with Alabama, like that's still a pretty good response. Like if they were to lose to Bama and this Bama team where it's better than the Bama of last year, like this is going to be a better Bama team and who they have with Turner and Anderson on the edge and where this defense looks to be, uh, especially with old friend Henry Toa Toa leading the the linebacker room and company. Like, Bryce Young's going to be better. This group's going to be better. Like, you just look up and down the list that Bama is going to be better, and Georgia lost a lot, and we can understand, we can acknowledge that they also are replacing all of those guys with stars. No one's missed back, and you still have a lot of dudes back in that defense, but it's enough where you're like, I mean, I think losing one regular season game and then losing to Bama, a better Bama team in the SEC title game, and not having the lucky situation where I, I think what will end up, and this is probably something that um, I don't know how you legislate this out, or like I wonder if there's some strategy involved here in the future, but 
it almost is going to be detrimental to the team who loses the SEC title game where you're like, you almost want to avoid it now where if you're not going to get, like if you're Texas A&M, you go 10 and two or 11 and one and you miss the SEC title game because Bama also goes 11 and one and they get like the tiebreaker or whatever. And they're in and they beat Georgia. Georgia is then eliminated who might be better than A&M. And then A&M just gets in because they didn't have that last loss. And I, I could see that scenario. I think if that's A&M, if that's Arkansas, that's LSU. That was the garbage they always did in the BCS era. Like it didn't really matter as much. I think it mattered for monetary purposes, but like, like Georgia was number three, I think in the 20, in 2012 when they played Alabama and Alabama was number two and they lost And Florida, I think was number four at the time. So it's like the, you play the regular season and Georgia is better than Florida, but then they play in this championship game and lose. And then Florida goes to the sugar bowl. And mm-hmm. it's like, well, that, that didn't make any sense. They were the better team. And I think like the one year when, when Georgia went to the sugar bowl with the the blackout year. It's like Tennessee was in the SEC championship. Granted, the they were year? a lower ranked team, but yeah, that was the year they played Hawaii. Mm. But it's like it's it's interesting how they've they've done that for for years. Think kind of that team that gets that one extra loss in the SEC championship goes lower than the team that didn't play in the SEC championship at all. Which is silly, but it's like one of those recency bias things for our last memory of you. But it's also like it's consistent with Twitter rules. Yeah, that the person who doesn't make the championship game can just talk all the shit to the team that loses in the championship game. It's like, well, our, my team is better than you. Why are you talking? I mean, yeah. And I don't know. I think it's a possibility. And I think we'll have to see it because, I mean, back-to-back years of backdooring yourself into the playoff seems risky if I'm a Bulldog fan because, I mean... But I've, now we've seen two teams, two non-SEC champions win the national championship now in, yeah. what, eight years of the playoff? So, if anything, that just... That sets the precedent. Tank the SEC like, title game. That it, Well, not, not that, but it's that when it comes down to, okay, Georgia just went 12, especially if they go undefeated. But it's like, even if Georgia's... 11 and two after losing to Alabama in the SEC championship, like they did back in 2018. And it's a matter of like Oklahoma getting in that year, a discussion at four and five, like when they just did it and just won the national championship, uh, you know, that conversation might get a little more serious because you just saw them be the best team in the country after not winning the conference. But yeah, I think if Georgia is 11 and one and in the SEC championship with a chance to go to the playoff like they were in 2018 and in 2019, like mm-hmm. even though they didn't win those SEC championship games, like I feel like that's still a successful season, especially after following up a a, a national title. I could see that, um, but we'll see. We'll see. Uh, this in, should be- in theory, though, last thing in theory, like I I get the 11 and one expectation, but. In reality, like in the actual looking at the schedule, it's hard to see them going anything other than 12 and 0, honestly. If they were going at Tennessee this year, I feel like that would be that would be the Bama AM game of last year, the game that everyone in the world is circling as an upset. Like I'm seeing to kind of shift gears here, that's what's kind of show uh taking me off guard in the SEC media days is I was expecting Tennessee to be the dark horse hype team. And maybe it's because we haven't seen Tennessee. They haven't had their day yet. And so maybe they're going to start hyping up Tennessee tomorrow when they 
when they do their their uh, SEC media days. But South Carolina is definitely the darling that like everyone is talking about. Like every so many people are picking now South Carolina to be the second best team in the East or to maybe upset Georgia. And I get it is at South Carolina and it's an early game. And I feel like that's it's a recipe for an upset. But Tennessee seems like the the more legitimate kind of challenger to to Georgia to me this year. I was very shocked at how much South Carolina uh, hype I'm seeing. My dumb brain has decided that it's either we beat Georgia and then lose to South Carolina late in the year on the road in Columbia <laughs> to just miss the SEC championship game because of something stupid like that. Or like that would be the most Tennessee thing ever is to beat Florida and Georgia in the same season and then lose to South Carolina late and just cost yourself an SEC. That that shades of 2016 right there. That's what I'm saying. I could see that. Like Columbia is a tough place to play, man. And who knows what they're looking like at the end of uh, this upcoming season? We're not playing in the beginning. I feel like you have the opposite, like. I don't know, viewpoint as a Tennessee fan than I would think you would have right now. I hmm. feel like you seem to be on the we're going to lose a multiple games we shouldn't lose. Mm-hmm. Might be might beat Alabama and Georgia. Might like upset one of the big ones, but I feel like you see them losing to some bad teams or something this year. Well, I not like bad. I, I just see lose like kind of Winning, beating everyone they should, and then maybe just only losing to the teams that are just truly better and being like a nine and three type team. I think they beat Pitt. Florida is just, let's see. I, I mean, Florida penciling that in as anything other. I, I just, you got to see that. Um, so I, I, my gut tells me they beat one of Bama or Georgia and then they blow a South Carolina game. I just, I can't shake that feeling. <laughs> I can't like, it's not Kentucky because Kentucky they own Kentucky. It doesn't matter what else happens. That's one of the funnier things. It's like I saw, and look, Kentucky Mark Stoops, I like him a lot. Great program. He's done really, really well there. Back to back ten win seasons. Um, great stuff, from Mark Stoops. Like I think we all appreciate what Mark Stoops does at Kentucky. There's a there's a butt coming here. There is a butt. I mean, not only did Tennessee just uh, immediately go into kentucky and take the number one player in the state for this upcoming cycle but there is no concern uh in not in knoxville about uh kentucky coming into knoxville this fall and when people are like oh because i was hearing like i when you were talking about south carolina being the darling of the sec media days and teams it's like i've mostly heard kentucky where a lot of folks have been like Kentucky, man, they're going to get Georgia at home this year. And Kentucky is the, this is the year that Kentucky breaks through with Will Levis first round quarterback. Uh, they got a five-star left tackle in there now. Chris Rodriguez, you go up and down the list and you're a lot of folks have talked themselves into first place Kentucky. If it's not Georgia, it's Kentucky. And I, I, I would, I'm pretty confident Georgia and Tennessee both comfortably beat kentucky this fall like i don't yeah. i don't think the kentucky stuff's real like if it's not georgia this year and it's not tennessee it's florida because that means florida and anthony richardson's a star right away and billy napier unlocks something with him and they're awesome like i could see something like that because they are in the blue chip ratio like we look through it and it's like there's still a lot of talent in gainesville like it would not be all that surprising if they uh they're really good um and they have like that we'll see in knoxville in week four but um yeah i don't i don't see the kentucky thing and i don't think anyone in knoxville 
and Athens are terrified of Kentucky winning the SEC East. And that's not even like a shot at Kentucky. It's just there is a ceiling. It is, but it isn't. Yeah. They're not sweeping Florida, Tennessee, and Georgia. I don't think that's ever happened. I don't think they've ever actually done that. Like, that's just not a thing. It's not happening. Ooh, yeah. There's been a few losses to um, to Kentucky. I know Georgia lost to Kentucky, what, back – Stafford's freshman year, 06. Kentucky just ended like, like a 25-year streak of oh, losing to true. Florida. That was a Florida, yeah, for like 30 years. But that's what I'm row. saying. Like, so that definitely like, hasn't. But that's what I'm saying. They they would have to basically sweep those three to win the East. And I just, there's no path for that happening. No path. And then the South Carolina stuff is just, I, I don't know. It's because Shane Beamer is so likable <laughs> that people just like Shane Beamer which is fine. Like Shane Beamer is a, he seems like a cool guy, good culture fit, like players like him. I mean, Tennessee had stepped on their neck in seven minutes into that first quarter (laughs) and it was over. Like I just, I don't Spencer Rattler got benched at Oklahoma. Like, it's not like there's a bunch of also ready to go stars in Columbia. And we did not see Marcus Satterfield's offense really pop last year. Maybe it pops this year, but I think I don't know, the bench man. thing. I think people are overreacting to Spencer Rattler getting benched because, and we we can save some of this for you know our, our topic later in the show. But not everyone has a Caleb Williams as a as a backup to to put in for the star if the starter is struggling at all. So I I take a little bit with a grain of salt. Like Jalen Hurts got benched too, but he had he had Tua behind him. So I don't know. It, it's a little different than your typical just guy getting benched. That's fair. I just, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see on those guys. It is funny, though, that Rattler and Levis get all the love. And it's because it's one of those things where it's folks who don't watch these games and they just see, like, the highlights and they see, like, the pedigree where Levis and Rattler have the pedigree and Hooker and Bennett do not. But it's like, Hinden Hooker and Stetson Bennett are better college quarterbacks than Will Levis and Spencer Rattler. Like, that, what Hinden Hooker did last year and what Stetson Bennett did last year is better than anything we've seen from will levis and anything we've seen from spencer rattler to this point you are putting theoretical versions of these two players out there and placing them ahead and we'll get into that in the quarterback rankings but i think that's where there's a huge disconnect where it's like no hinden hooker and Seth bennett you would rather have based on what we've seen of the tape this far uh, thus far right no i i definitely agree i think rattler did have a, a, a full freshman year where he played well. So obviously the Oklahoma lost a couple of games that year, but I don't know. I, I think, I think they just don't like Spencer Rattler. And so they don't want to root for him. I think there's a lot of that, but I think, I think he's still got a lot of potential to be one of the better quarterbacks in the SEC. And I just don't know, but that's the whole thing. It's like, we don't know. We have to see this. We know Hendon hooker is an elite SEC quarterback. We know Stetson Bennett is an elite SEC quarterback. We don't know with Rattler and we don't know with Levis. Levis threw a bunch of picks last year. He was not an elite quarterback in this conference. Like that just was not a thing. Um, I don't know. We'll, we'll get into that in our other thing, but the other Georgia thing I wanted to bring up um, Georgia uh, friend of the pod, late kicks, uh, Josh Pate. He had a whole segment on the Bulldogs recruiting. This all stemmed from, do you hear that thunder and lightning by the way on my end? Oh, I didn't hear it. Okay, it's pretty amazing. Like it's it's a strong thunderstorm, folks, here in East Tennessee this evening, and that's what we're 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 soldiering on. Um, but Justice Haynes, he does not commit to Georgia. Not only does he not commit to Georgia, 
and he's a legacy kid buford kid thought it was like veron haynes yeah hobnail boot as we all fondly remember like that was like one of those no one even had on their radar where it was just that was a locked and done like that he's just gonna be a bulldog he doesn't even finish the bulldogs don't finish in the top two for him he reveals that someone else was in ohio state ohio state yeah yeah, it's number two and he picks bama and you're like okay (laughs) that's really strange like that was one of those where it's not even like a i'm a georgia hater or whatever it's just like that was weird. That's just a weird, weird thing. And you listen to Josh and his explanation for it, which is that because Georgia is such a big thing now, it's kind of they've gone national where they've kind of taken maybe the homegrown stars in a fertile state of Georgia for granted, maybe, where the operation has become too big and the operation is going so national and all over the country that they're getting poached in their home state again. Like they need to lock, basically they need to kind of regroup and lock down the borders all over again. And maybe have gotten a little too greedy on the national scale of who they're going after. And it's just like, okay, that's great to go national. And that wins like Clemson does it. Alabama does it and stuff like that. But there is a cost to going national and to not focusing on your home state first. And I don't know. I think it's an interesting thing. It's not doom and gloom in, in Athens, but it was a shocker um, that Haynes had not picked Georgia. What what do you make of that, and what do you make of the recruiting strategy over the last couple of years? No, I was definitely uh, shocked, mainly because of the legacy thing. Like he's Georgia just has a history of. It feels like in the recruiting cycles, like you hear Georgia's targeting like two or three running backs in this class, and you're you're almost counting them as commits before they even commit. Like Zamir mm-hmm. White, it seemed like a. Uh, just like a, a terribly kept secret. Even DeAndre Swift out of Philly, it, it felt like Georgia really wants these guys. Their their history of running backs, they're going to get them. And so this guy being a top fifty player in the country, Veron Haynes is his dad. It felt like a lock to Georgia. I'm I'm thinking Georgia's going to get him and maybe one of the other top four or five running backs that they really want. Mm. Um, so to see him go to Bama, like that, that was definitely a shock. I think baseball, he said, had a little something to do with it, and. Mm. As we know, Georgia's not an everything school. We're at, we're a football school. Well, it's also um, Bama's not a good baseball school. So I don't know what we're talking about there. Either. Is that right? I think he said something about playing baseball, but Bama, well, that's what the I Brooklyn kid for. did. Well, you know that's what Dylan Lonergan did. He chose Alabama in part because they he's playing baseball at Alabama. He's a dual sport kid. So maybe there's something there, but mainly I blame Buford because hmm. I don't know what it is. If he was a blessed Trinity, I think he'd go to Georgia, but. Buford doesn't like Georgia. Buford's always sending guys anywhere but Georgia. Deion Walker to Notre Dame. Was that his name? Deion Walker? Deion Walker. Uh, Darius Walker. Darius Walker. Darius that was Walker. Name, yeah. yeah, there's a bunch of, back in the day, like Tim Wansley, I think went to Georgia, uh, was hmm. a Buford guy. But um, Dallas Lee, played Little League with Dallas Lee, actually. He was a Buford guy. Okay. Obviously, there's a couple here and there. But it feels like the, the really highly touted guy, uh, guys from Buford, rarely go to Georgia. Seems like you get a lot of Alabama, a lot of Ohio State guys. I, I don't know what it is. LSU, like Buford guys seem to go national, but obviously. Justin Roper to Oregon. <laughs> there you go. That's another name. P.K. Sam, uh, Florida oh, State. Oh, was P.K. Sam a Buford guy? Yeah. Florida State legend, P.K. Sam. Oh, yeah. He was a, he was a baller. So Tall this dude. was definitely big, but I uh, I think a little bit is too much is being made of the the in-state recruiting because looking at the uh, just the 24-7 uh, recruiting rankings, 
this might be one of the worst uh, years I've seen in recent history for the state of Georgia. Like there's six top 100 players in this cycle. Last year, there was nine uh, in 2020. That was 2022, 2021. There was 11 2020. There was 15 top 100 players from Georgia. This uh, upcoming 2024 class right now, there's 16 uh, top 100 players from the state of Georgia, including like six or seven, five stars. Like this, it feels like this is just not one of the better classes coming out of Georgia. And like, cause right now I think Georgia's got two of the top 10 players in state committed and only like one or two of them are uncommitted at this point. So I feel like it's a little bit of an exaggeration because Georgia's still got the six ranked six ranked class right now. And all of the teams ahead of them, I think have like three or four more commits than them. They're I think four third or fourth on um, average recruiting rank uh, ranking per commit per commit, you know? So until Georgia like starts slowing down on recruiting, I really think it feels like it's an annual thing that Georgia fans do like every July. Like we remember back in 2020, when Jeremy Pruitt had like 26 commits in the middle of July and half of those guys ended up signing with Tennessee. So I just, you can't overreact to recruiting rankings. Like looking at what Georgia's done the last four cycles, the third ranked class, fourth ranked class, first ranked class and second ranked class. And then the one before that was the first ranked class, the first first ranked class Kirby had, and they were just seniors and they just won a national championship. So you have four years of recruiting on this roster right now that have been top four classes. Like uh, unless Georgia ends up with the seventh or eighth recruiting class in this, in this class, like maybe there's, you know, reason to panic, but I have a good feeling that when we look up on February or December, whatever we're calling signing day now, like Georgia's going to end up with a top three, top four class. Like they're, they're going to sign an elite class. Like, because that's that's what Kirby Smart does. So I don't feel like I'm too worried. Like even if this is a down, like that's the best part of recruiting nationally is if there is a down year in the state of Georgia, like you're a national brand that goes out to Arizona to get a Keeley Ringo, that goes out to Las Vegas to get a Darnell Washington, California to get a Kendall Milton, like Philadelphia to get DeAndre Swift. Like there's been, if you think about Georgia, mainly obviously gets guys out of uh, out of the state of Georgia, but when they go out of state they tend to get a lot of superstar players like Todd Gurley's the Jordan Davis's like uh, Nicobe Dean. Like they, they get a lot of big time players out of state that like, you just got to get the best players. Sometimes they're from your state and sometimes they're not. And luckily Kirby's built Georgia into an, a big enough national brand. Not that they weren't a national brand before he got there, but now they can go into any house in any state in the country and people know about Georgia. So I don't, I don't think any, I don't think people have too much to worry about. Yeah. I, you are right there at the team recruiting rankings though with Tennessee. It's almost identical. The, uh, the numbers. And I will say the difference though with that uh, 2020 Pruitt class. And now is this, that like, I don't think we're going to see the flips like we used to with NIL. Like, I think it's part of the thing where I don't think we're going to see a lot of July commitment to then flip uh, in December. I, I don't think that's going to happen um, with a no, lot of these definitely, deals. That's definitely true. And, and But if you look at all the teams in the rankings right now, like Georgia's at 15 commits, like Tennessee is right there with them, but yeah. they, they have 18, mm-hmm. like Clemson with 17, Penn State with 19, Texas and Ohio State with 19, Notre Dame with 20. Like 
I like, but you know, Alabama's going to end up getting a bunch of good players and they're going to get up there. So there's, there's a long time between now and, and December. Yeah, I would agree. Um, Ania Smith, not a great look. He was supposed to be at SEC Media Day with uh, Jimbo Fisher this week and he got arrested uh, on DWI, weapon, and marijuana charges. And he is supposed to be a uh, big time player, uh, senior wide receiver for the Aggies. Um, this is, I mean, <sighs> you do not want this if you're the Aggies. Like, this is just. <laughs> You see this and you're like, oh my goodness, this is not what you want to see at all for someone that you like. He's going to be one of the leaders for this team. Like this is, uh, you see this and you're like, oh no, this, this <laughs> there is so much writing on this season in College Station that is just not the look you want to have going rolling into SEC media days in uh, in Atlanta. Yeah, without a doubt, he's just. He's just a playmaker. This is a, this is disappointing to hear for uh, for Texas A&M for sure. Obviously, if 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 what he allegedly did, he did. It's not it's not great. But um, yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. Is it's just I think this is the best player on Texas A&M's entire roster, to be honest. And so if if they lose him for this twenty twenty two season. I think we're going to have to start asking a question. Is Texas A&M a cursed program? (sighs) Like, they're spending so much money. Like, so we go back to 2021. We got Haynes King, first game of the season, getting hurt. Like, that derailed the entire season. But even go back to 2020. Like, what did they they finish? 10-1 and that year? Like, lost one game to Alabama. Like, one of the greatest teams in college football history, honestly, that 2020 Alabama team. Mm-hmm. But because of the COVID year, you had Ohio State play five games and get in the college football playoff. Like, who knows? If Ohio State gets tripped up by Iowa midseason or something, like, and they're a one-loss champion, maybe they still get in ahead of uh, Notre, uh, of, uh, of Texas A&M. But then Notre Dame also played that ACC schedule. Like, that kind of threw some things off. You got two ACC teams in the playoff. Like, I don't know how that ever happened, but it was just that's the best season Jimbo Fisher's had. And a lot of weird circumstances happen. Like, you go a, a normal season, they they go 11 and one. You go 11 and one with your one loss being the number one team in the country. Like, that team makes the playoff nine times out of 10. So now, a third year in a row, if they lose an Anaya Smith, that like, I don't know how they're going to how they're going to make up for that. Like all the, the, the 2022 recruiting class is great, but like, that's not going to be the guys who, who impact the 2022 season. Like they needed to go with, they needed an impact from some of the guys they already had. And that's not great. They already lost. Isaiah Spiller was probably their best playmaker last year. And now you have, uh, Anaya Smith. That's, that's tough to lose. And then, uh, Demond, uh, Demas was kicked off the team. Uh, earlier this year for another oh that's right yeah so are they maybe they're are they the new mark rick is it mark rick's fault that that (laughs) all this is happening at texas a&m oh my goodness that was a time man that was a mark (laughs) mark rick has lost control of insert program here that was like a whole twitter meme for for years um 
Well, Matt Green, let's get into and quickly. Oh, by the way, Chad Morris got hired as an analyst for South Florida and reunites with Jeff Scott, his old buddy at Clemson, who he was the first offensive coordinator for Dabo. It was Chad Morris. And then he's had a really weird career and then goes to SMU, does pretty well at SMU for a couple of years, goes to Arkansas, implodes at Arkansas, goes back to high school, wins big at high school, and then is like, all right, done with that, back to college, and now is an analyst at USF. Just really wild, wild career. So bad at Arkansas that people forgot that Arkansas actually could be good at football. That, I mean, that's a whole different podcast is like what happened. We should just do like a deep dive in what happened uh, from Mark during the Chad Morris era there. Um, Speaking of, you see Sam Pittman today mm. pushing for uh, their locked rivals to be Oklahoma, Texas, and Missouri. I like that. So we'd lose the uh, the golden boot if we only got the three locked rivals. I mean, we get LSU, Arkansas every other year, but uh, the golden boot's a good one. But in terms of geography, I do like Arkansas. They, they really fit with those teams up there. I was going to say, like, Mizzou needs somebody. Mizzou has nobody. They have no rivals, no anything. Kansas doesn't happen anymore. Like, they're just they're just floating. Um, Eli Drinkwitz just hanging out, going 6-6, six and six, having some fun. I feel like the Battle of Columbia is, like, kind of becoming a thing a little. Is it? South Carolina, Missouri. Is it? We're trying to make it a thing. Is it, Matt? Trying to make fetch happen. Is that the line? The Battle of Columbia. <laughs> is that what we're going with? Oh yeah, South man! Carolina, at, least a, at least has a solid name. Oh my god! But We're if you go that. those three locked rivals: Arkansas, uh, Oklahoma, and South Carolina, no, that make makes sense for Missouri. Yeah. Uh, um. Next up, our SEC top ten quarterbacks. So you're leading this charge, Matt Green. What inspired this, and how do you want to do this? Yes, sir. So as uh, as you probably have as well, been um been just having SEC media days on in the background um through my throughout my work day, and I think it was a requirement from the SEC network that if you are going to have an opinion on college football, and you work for their network, you have to give a top five quarterbacks in the SEC list. So mm-hmm. you've seen Jordan Rogers, seen Tebow, you've seen. McElroy, just everyone's given their top five. So I thought top five is fine. Like you could do a top five, but this is just the most like wide open. I think that like one of the deepest the SEC quarterbacks has been since I want to say like 2013, 2014. Like that's when we had like whatever year, 2013, we had Manziel, McCarran, Mettenberger, Murray, all of their names started with the M, by the way. But, like, there's a deep class of, of quarterbacks in the SEC or around that time. Like, those are the first four I could name. I, I'd, I'd have to think harder than anyone else. But in one conference, that's pretty solid, especially because the SEC, there's there's been some years where the quarterback play is pretty subpar. Um but, like, you go through this list, like, I think you could make, like, two through nine or so, you could kind of make an argument for, like, a lot of guys, like, all throughout there. Like, I'm seeing people with Anthony Richardson as, like, the second or third best quarterback in the SEC, and I'm over here debating if he's in the top ten. Like, it's just – it's kind of crazy, so I wanted to see your list, and uh, and I'll give you my list. What do you want to start at ten? Just go go down the list, one, two, one, yeah, two. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. 
You may start. You start. Yeah, you, you start. Okay. So I got. I went one. Bryce Young, obviously. Two. Hendon Hooker. Three. Stetson Bennett. Four. Spencer Rattler. Five. KJ Jefferson. Six. Max Johnson, which I think is maybe my hottest take here. Seven. Will Rogers. Eight. Will Levis. Nine. Anthony Richardson. And ten. Miles Brennan. And then you give me your list. I went one. Bryce Young. Two. Hendon Hooker. Three. KJ Jefferson four Stetson Bennett, five Will Rogers, six Will Levis, seven Miles Brennan, eight Anthony Richardson, nine Spencer Rattler, and 10 Max Johnson. Okay, so when you were doing this list, I guess we should have said this before, what is your criteria for your ranking? Well, first is this off, today, I have to see it. Yeah, this is like... If you're we're playing a game on Saturday, yes. this is who you want lining up at quarterback. Correct, based on okay. what I have seen thus far. And if they haven't based been in on- it... But part is part of this a projection on how good you think they're going no, to be? Because this is I think only as good as they've been so far. Like what we've seen, where it's like the realistic expectation for that quarterback based on what we've seen, like where we put them in based on their body of work to this okay. point. That's and I fair. think that's the fairest way to do it. Because if you're just like, it's not a real list if people are throwing out like Jaden Daniels at three, you're you're just out of your mind. Like uh, that's well, just, but I think there's a projection is an element to this. And I think if you're gonna if people have Anthony, multiple people with Anthony Richardson maybe in their top five, like a projection is obviously part of that conversation with Anthony Richardson because this is a guy who has half a year as a starter and it wasn't a particularly good half a year, right? But we know his talent, so like if we're just Do going. We? Well, you know how hard, how far he can throw, and how fast and strong he is. Let me introduce so, you to Joe Milton, then. Like that's no, great. no. So that's true. But I'm saying if we're going on what they've proven, like Anthony Richardson probably isn't even top ten. So there is an element. Well, of I mean, projecting. I don't know if you looked at some of those bats, like Mike Wright and uh, and company. I mean, well, I thought it was interesting. Neither one of us had. Um, oh, I'm blanking on his name now. Um, Ole Miss quarterback. Oh, Jackson Dart. Jackson Dart. Yeah, blanked on his name. Neither one of us had him on there. I definitely well, thought you would have. Start. Luke Altmaier might win the job. Like, it's still not settled. Mm. Like, he hasn't blown. Like, he hasn't locked down the job. Like, it might be Luke Altmaier week one. So, no, I can't put him in there. And then I was also surprised to see you have Miles Brennan at seven because I almost felt like I was high on Miles Brennan to put him at 10. Miles Brennan's good. He actually has good stuff. Like, Miles Brennan was good when healthy. Miles Brennan is a good quarterback when healthy. Like, I – it's funny. Like, I have Miles Brennan ahead of Anthony Richardson, Spitzer Rattler, and Max Johnson. And I – Max Johnson, we'll see. Like, he's a wild card to me. I don't know if he's going to start either. It's like he's in that Jackson Dart zone where I don't know if he's even going to win the job. Um, but I, I I agree, but I feel like people have forgotten about Max Johnson. Like well, LSU, I forget more been, because he might not be the quarterback in college. LSU Station, has Matt just Green. been a straight up dumpster fire for two years, and this guy's just giving you good, consistent quarterback play. Like I like you know what this is. He reminds you of David Green, and you're just all in. <laughs> That's what happened here. He just reminded you of David Green. And you're was like, David I gotta... Green six five? Was he that big? I don't. I don't know if he, he was looked that, that big. big. But, David Green, but twenty seven touchdowns and seven picks last year, like in twelve games, like that sixty percent completions. Like obviously he had Keishawn Butte. Like he's a baller, but like not a lot of great things going on with LSU's offense. So I feel like Max Johnson is being totally forgotten about because I feel like obviously this is pre Anaya Smith. Arrest, suspension, whatever could potentially happen here. 
Um, but I feel like A&M was kind of like a quarterback away because they are so loaded with talent. He was 6'3", by the way. It's 6'3". Okay. He was 6'3". He might yeah, still be 6'3". Jury's still, three. Three. still out. Um, but, yeah, so I feel like people are sleeping on Max Johnson. He seems super – like, I think if, if Max Johnson was Georgia's quarterback, I would I would be like – I would have no questions. He seems like a guy with a very high floor. Like he might not mm. have the the highest ceiling, but he just seems like a guy who's just steady and surrounded by talent. Like he, I feel like he should be at A and M. I think I think he should have a very good season. And, and then, I'm not against that. It's just we have to see. Like he needs to win the job first. Like I can't. Eat, I just I can't do that. Like Miles Brennan, I think is still the favorite to win the LSU job. And you read the reports, and it's also based on the reporting from all these different summers and spring camps where it's like, okay, it looks like miles Brennan is the leader there. Max Johnson. Well, we're going off of just who's the best in the sec. Maybe Haynes King is the, is the 10th best quarterback in the sec, right? Like you saw, who was it? Was it Wimbledon or the U S open or something trolling the Seattle Seahawks on Twitter or something? Did you see? And they're like, something about Drew Locks, your quarterback. Like, yeah, he's the 40th ranked quarterback in the league. It's like, aren't there 32 teams? Like, I don't know which yeah. account was doing that. So there are multiple quarterbacks on teams. So it's there's potential that even if Max Johnson doesn't win the job, that he is still better than, than some of these other guys. But um, I just – he seems like a guy with the low floor. Like I said, I just – I expect Max Johnson to be the guy. I think a lot of people are sleeping on him. Um, and, then, and then Rattler, 28 touchdowns and seven picks is a true freshman. Like – like he's not going to be in Oklahoma system. He's not going to have Lincoln Riley. He's not going to go up against Big Twelve teams. But I think people are are really sleeping on on Spencer Rattler and just kind of, I guess what I should say. I my initial feeling was that people were sleeping on Spencer Rattler. Then I was kind of surprised at how much hype he and South Carolina have gotten during SEC media days. Um, so I'm kind of saying the same thing that they're saying, and I. I I wished was my original thought, but here we are. But he was 11 touchdowns and five picks last year. Like that's a small sample size. Like Caleb Williams, if, if he's, if you don't have a stud quarterback behind him, he, he's probably not getting benched. So he's not going to be in as friendly of a, of a system. So I think that's the one thing that is going against him, but I, I fully expect Spencer Rattler to be one of the better quarterbacks in this conference. Yeah, we'll see. I I don't I don't think I'm expecting that. Like I just I don't know, man. Like we'll we'll see. Like we'll so we'll see. Down at nine. Yeah, like I just I'm not a believer. Like he has to prove it. Um, I don't have Will Levis super high. It's like all these people. I think the the Will Levis stuff. It's just like Will Rogers put on a clinic last year, uh, in Starkville, and he was really really good for what Mike Leach wants to do on offense. And I think he's going to have an even better year this year. Like he has been in the system for a long time now. Um, and Will Rogers is going to put up stats and I think he's gonna be a really good quarterback. He might have the Matt Corral type year where he's been around for a while. And now a uh, veteran team, good defense that like, I don't know, I wouldn't be surprised if Will Rogers is one of the five best quarterbacks in this uh, conference. And I, I hesitated because I thought about putting KJ Jefferson uh, above Hendon hooker uh, he is a really, really good quarterback. And I think there is a case that he's number two. And it's like, if he is number two, I think Arkansas has it. I am so intrigued by Arkansas Bama this year because everyone yeah. like has A&M Bama circled. I have Arkansas Bama circled because I think KJ versus Bryce 
might decide the West. And I think KJ is going to, I don't know. He's like the Hinden hooker out West for me, where it's like, he's the best quarterback in that division that no one. He's, he's the power. He's the power Hinden hooker. He's the power Hinden hooker. I like that, but that's, that's <laughs> real. Like he's a really, really good quarterback. And I think any Hasht- list that does hashtag, not have to... hashtag power hooker. <laughs> I don't think that's going to be the hashtag. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I just, he should be in that list and in that top three. And I've seen a lot of lists that don't include him. Um, did you think I, I was going to have, yeah. I that and that's a good point and that's he was one of the reasons why I feel like this is so wide open because I feel like there's people that are putting like Will Rogers as like the second best quarterback in the SEC and yeah you weren't really as high on him as me or me and you were both not as high on him I have him down at seven and like we saw what he did last year like I I we we know what Mike Leach's quarterbacks do and that's why mm-hmm. I can't get too excited about him but at the same time dude's completing like 75 percent of his passes throwing it like 60 times a game so it was still impressive even if it's a lot of short stuff but kj jefferson like you said like last year like based on what he's done i feel like he's about the fifth best quarterback in the sec based on what he could do he could be the second best quarterback in the sec and i i i could be convinced that he is better than hinden hooker and then i look at him in stetson bennett and i'm like I feel like Stetson Bennett is not a running quarterback, but he has that threat to run. And obviously he's not the same runner as KJ Jefferson, but he's still a dynamic athlete. And then I keep talking, I keep moving down the list. I'm like, ah, I could, I could put KJ Jefferson ahead of all of these guys, but that's, why I end up settling, settling with him at five. Like I think Arkansas is definitely an intriguing team based on a lot. Like you said, like on what, what we get out of KJ Jefferson this year. Were you surprised where I put Stetson Bennett? I was. I was not expecting you to have Stetson Bennett at four. I uh, like. I was having this conversation with my mom. Right? She was As like, one does. "He's not even. Why is Stetson Bennett not first or second team All SEC? You know, which won the national championship?" And she knows sports, right? But I'm like, obviously Bryce Young's better, you know. Mm-hmm. And then, and then when she's explaining, like, but why isn't he second team? I didn't really have a good explanation for why. Because I, 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 like, you could convince me Stetson Bennett's the eighth or ninth best quarterback in the conference. And I wouldn't really argue that hard for it. Like, I would argue hard that he's better than Anthony Richardson. Because I just have not understood the Anthony Richardson and Will Levis hype this offseason. But obviously, those guys have some tools that Stetson Bennett doesn't. So it, it's a, it's a real toss up. But yeah, like, I'm starting to explain, like, well, you know, Hinton Hooker was like, 31 touchdowns, like three picks. And then after Hooker, it's like, you know, there's really not anyone that you could like definitively say you know is better than Stetson. I would say KJ I know is better than Stetson. I think KJ Jefferson is better than Stetson. Did You put him at three, right? Yeah, I would say he's definitively better. I mean, it's hard to say that with their numbers last year, though. Like, Like Stetson, not only did he was he super efficient, but like he was efficient down the field. And I think well, he that's was the most bad. efficient person. Like he threw a lot of picks and a lot of turnover worthy throws. Like he was a gunslinger. That's like the one thing I that people just did not talk about with Stetson is his, we talk about Will Levis, but like, I forgot which stat there was a really good, uh, it might've been Conley who had it where it was like, I want to pull it up. It was, I was doing a deep dive in that, but it was like, he's somewhere. It might've been Matt in front of the pod, Matt Wyatt, who found that like, there was this, he did some formula of like, 
interception to TD ratio or something. Like he did something, but it wasn't just that bland. But it was like Will Levis and Stetson Bennett came up at the same spot. And well, I, if you talk at like turnover worthy throws, yeah. like I could believe something like that because there was definitely some some questionable throws, some dropped interceptions like throughout the season. But like the numbers, he still threw twenty nine touchdowns to seven right. picks. Like. And and KJ Jefferson, like he threw less picks, but he also threw less touchdowns. Like twenty one touchdowns to four picks. He's well, how a, many rushing touchdowns did he have? He had six rushing touchdowns, yeah. six hundred rushing yards. So obviously, he completed almost seventy percent of his passes. What was Stetson? I think he was around like sixty four. That's what I'm saying. Like you go up another list and yards per attempt nine point one. Like KJ Jefferson was. Stetson, I think, led the country in yards per attempt. Like well, what I'm he was like KJ third in the country. Like so he ran. He didn't turn the ball over. He went downfield when he had to. He got the ball to his superstar when he needed to. I mean, with Traylon Burks, like I don't know. I think, like I said, it's a conversation. It's not like a definitive no, like KJ's better. I just think there is a case that KJ is is better. That's fair. And, and Stetson didn't have a superstar receiver last year, right? I mean, he had Brock Bowers as a tight end, and he had a, say, a, superstar a superstar tight receiver. end. Yeah. But Pickens was obviously supposed to be the guy, and he wasn't there. So he didn't necessarily have a Traylon Burks per se, but Brock Bowers is a damn good, uh, <laughs> a damn good guy. Yeah, let's stop pretending that that man is not a receiver. Like that is like, if Kyle picked it, yeah. But yeah, so I feel like our, our lists are pretty similar. I, um, neither of us are buying the Anthony Richardson hype. I think, uh, but I'm my personal list. This does involve some projection. So it's like part of it's what you've done now, but also how good I expect you to be in 2022, like as if, as if like we said to start with, like we have a game on Saturday, who I want as my starting quarterback. And hmm. this is the list I came up with. So Anthony Richardson still need to see a lot more. I uh, like we get, it's cool that you're, you're really fast and you can, you can jump high and, and you're really strong, but there's a lot more that goes into playing quarterback than just, you know, throw it 75 yards. Like, well, it's also just the production versus, um talent conversation with Richardson and Rattler, right? And Levis, where it's like the talent is obviously better. Like it's obviously better there. Yeah, no one's gonna deny that Stetson and Hendon Hooker are not as naturally talented as those guys. But at some point the production and the games matter. You talk about this a lot, which is the wins and what happens on the field has to matter. And what Hendon did last year in limited work where it was a new offense for him. It was an offense that he didn't like three, three picks and 36 total touchdowns is insane for what he was asked to do in the situation that he was thrown into. And then you look at KJ. One thing about Hicker, about Hooker is just, it is the super friendly quarterback offense. That's like the one thing that's like preventing me from saying Hendon Hooker is definitely the second best quarterback he might just be in the second best offense. And that's, and you know, and that's part of it, you know, is just being utilized the way he needs to be utilized. So not to take anything away from Hooker, but that's the only thing that's like, I'm not a hundred percent sure that he's better than KJ Jefferson or Stetson Bennett or even Spencer Rattler. Like it's still, there, there seems to be a, a, a group there that's clustered together. That's like, I wouldn't be surprised if any of these six guys, you know, turned out to be the best, well, excluding also, Bryce Young. 
Yeah, Bryce is just in his own league. It's just uh, it's tier one and then a bunch of tier twos that are tier two and tier three that are fighting over those spots. And they're all yeah. pretty close. But it's interesting you talk about the the just the system, but it's like Todd Monken is a pretty quarterback friendly system. I think that's a pretty, pretty good spot. Like Stetson Bennett uh, working with Brian true. Schottenheimer, I don't think has the same results in Athens. Oh, without a doubt. But I, in terms of just the running a lot of plays and, and getting the production of what it, where it is, like w- we saw in and hooker play for Virginia tech and he just was not nearly this good. Right? right. Like, so maybe he did just improve a lot from one year to the next. And that's obviously possible in sports, but I think a lot of it, I give a lot of the credit deservingly. So to Josh Heupel, you can, I mean, but Joe Milton did not succeed. I don't know. I just think that there That's is... True. He still has to be a good player, for sure. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. We shall see. I, I think we should re- save this and revisit it after the year and see how it all unfolded. Like, this is when we need to copy and store away our, our top 10 list and see how different it looks uh, come December or January. Without a doubt. And, and last thing on Anthony Richardson, he basically started two games last year. Mm-hmm. LSU and Georgia and through three touchdowns and four picks in those games. Like yeah. I just, I can't get that excited over. Yeah. He had 160 rushing yards against FAU and 115 rushing yards against South Florida. Like that's cool. You hurled a guy like that. that that's, that's all cool. He looks like a dynamic athlete, but uh, I really need to see more mm-hmm. from Anthony Richardson before we're going to put him up in this. And specifically like, it's not all about Georgia because Florida, you know, they got to worry about a couple steps below the rung before they, before they worry about Georgia, right? Like they need to worry about beating Tennessee and Kentucky and LSU before they really worry about being the best team in the East again. Mm. But I just, that we've seen Georgia go up against these quarterbacks that are run first kind of dual threat with questionable accuracy and under Kirby smart, Georgia absolutely eats these types of players up. Like we, they got Jalen Hurts benched in the national championship because they basically just dared him to beat them through the air. So I think with that specific type of quarterback, just the speed that Georgia has year in and year out at the defensive line and linebacker positions, like these type of running at athletic quarterbacks, the Will Levises of the world, the Nick Fitzgeralds, like these guys have just had so little success against Georgia's defense. Like I remember that's actually last year when it hit me that I thought Georgia would be better than Alabama last year was watching Florida and Alabama play. It was funny. It's like a Georgia fans had the complete opposite reaction of that Florida Alabama game. Everyone else was like, wow, maybe Florida will be the best team in the East again in 2022. And all Georgia fans saw like, wow, we might actually be better than Alabama this year because with what Florida was beating Alabama with just this the running quarterback stuff, like Emory Jones wasn't even really doing that much through the air and having the success they were against Alabama, like that type of stuff just doesn't really work against Kirby smarts, Georgia defenses. So, you know, they have a long way to go before they're worried about Georgia necessarily, but I just, we need to see more accuracy out of a, and decision-making out of Anthony Richardson, but he's obviously a hell of an athlete. There you go. Uh, Matt Green, that's all I've got. That was fun. That was a fun exercise. Where do we do? Like, we're going to go to, uh, we'll drop in a little bit of group of five next week. Uh, we won't get to that tonight, but um, power five previews are over under win totals next week. Who do you, which conference do we start with? 
Oh, I don't know. Do you just want to just start it with the SEC, or do you want to? I think we, we want to crescendo with the SEC. That's what I was thinking. Right. I think we well, end yeah. with the SEC. Yeah, we'll get the uh, get the group of five, the Pac-12, yes. out of the way to to start with. Work our, work our way east. Yeah, Pac-12. The opposite of the way the settlers did. There you go. <laughs> there. Whatever the opposite of manifest destiny is, that's, what, yeah. that's how we're going to do our college football preview. There you go. Matt Green, we can find you on Twitter, Matt underscore W underscore Green. Give him a follow if you have not already done so and all that good stuff. But thank you as always, my friend, and I will talk to you next week. Yes, sir. All right, y'all, that'll do it for part one here on the Thursday, July 21st, 2022 edition here on the Chase Most Podcast. Thank you again to Matt Green uh, for coming on this edition of the program. If you enjoyed our conversation, easiest way to support this very show, leave us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Email us at chasemostpodcast at gmail.com. And yeah, or at, uh, yeah, gmail.com. It's late, whatever. It's late. Um part two part three coming up in just one second we got the university of portland basketball coach coming on right after this part two and then to wrap things up uh chad bishop of uh vucommodores.com and uh all that good stuff to talk all thing vanderbilt football so jam-packed thursday show for you guys today uh no days off here on the chase the most podcast so thank you as always for making the chase the most podcast part of your daily listen wherever and however you listen stick around for part two coming up right after this uncle Derek, how'd i do Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.